Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. It's October 25th. Hope you all are doing well. Here, week before Halloween, we head into the open date uh, for the Gamecocks. Things are not pretty. Uh, it was an ugly game at AM, uh, just like all the other two SEC road games have gone this year. Carolina gets off to an abysmal start. Uh, you are playing in Neyland, Kyle Field, Sanford Stadium. I mean, those places are tough to play, but. Uh, you don't expect the game to be over halftime, 26-6 at Georgia, uh, example. 38-7 at Tennessee. Uh, 31 nothing uh, to the Aggies in College Station. I mean, it's just, you know, there, there's no – there are some things to kind of glean from the fourth quarter and second half, in my opinion, maybe some changes they could make uh, personnel-wise to make things better. I have no idea if they are or not. Uh, and I'm not really in the business of telling coaches uh, what I believe they should do. I'm not a coach, guys. I just uh, I kind of do what I do. Uh, and I see what I see. So, uh, you know, I don't know if things would work, um, if they followed a suggestion I had or not. Uh, I, I just, uh, you know, you have to do something, I think. There's four games left. Uh, there are games with improvement. I think Carolina can at least hang. Uh, against these teams that are coming in and they got to go to Missouri, obviously, but you know, it's, uh, it's tough to even say that that will happen uh, when you talk about, you know, what actually is going on. And this is an offense that just absolutely cannot score. This is an offensive line that should be playing better, but the fact is it's not. Uh, This is a, you know, there's issues across the board. I think, uh, as to why this offense is not performing well. And I've given my opinion on the actual system and the complexity of it, the offensive coordinator. And uh, since way before, you know, South Carolina 
you know, even before I had the big spur, I've always felt like South Carolina can't run a pro style offense. And you look at the times uh, that it's happened over the years and you just kind of look and go, well, you know, and uh, when I thought pro style offense initially, when they talked about bringing in Satterfield or whatever, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Okay. Well, this is going to be sort of like pro style 2.0, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, you look across the NFL and I'll, I'll use the chiefs as an example. The chiefs run a lot of air raid concepts and stuff. And so I'm thinking, well, that's, you know, married from the Joe Brady, Lincoln Riley thing, you know, that, that makes sense for the college level. Uh, so, so I thought maybe you bring down something scaled back. It hasn't been scaled back. There's nothing scaled back. Talked to another source yet again today uh, that says, without a doubt, uh, you know, the offensive line is being asked to do just crazy stuff from a uh, uh, from a play-to-play perspective. They're also changing plays at the line, uh, you know, operating like an NFL team should. When that's just not college football, guys. Um, unless you have – Brady Quinn and you are Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame in 05, you know, this this doesn't all or, – or you've got like a great offensive line, a stable of running backs. You know, like Georgia did all those years. Uh, you know, yeah, you can get by with stuff like that. But um, you know, even Mike Bobo's offense, which is a pro-style attack at its core, has a lot of different, you know, college passing concepts and, you know, things like that. So I don't – I, I don't know, you know, I've talked about the scheme and the plan and all that in depth, and, I, you know, it's just not working. So I, I don't feel like beating that dead horse today with regards to Marcus Satterfield, so I'm not going to. What I am going to do uh, is I'm going to say what I think they need to do to fix it or to try to fix it. Now, this is my opinion. This is not based on inside information. Uh, some of it's sort of sourced, uh, but I've, I have no idea. I'm not reporting that this is what they're going to do. I want to make that clear because I, I don't want to come back and – Florida game gets here, and like J.C. Sherbert said to do this, and and I thought J.C. Sherbert said they were going to do this, and and I don't have any knowledge as to what they're going to do. This is just kind of how I see it. You know, that's why you guys listen. That's why you guys read what I write, uh, that type of thing. So the first thing I would do, uh, I think that we've seen enough out of the offensive line. At this point, it just sort of is what it is, and so I, I think you got to make changes to that, uh, that situation. And, you know, I, I think, look, I'm a big Tyshawn Wanamaker guy. I don't know that he's ultimately a right tackle. Um, I think he's held his own out there, though. He plays with a mean streak. And I, I think even when Dylan Wanham comes back, you got to keep him out there. I mean, he's playing better. Uh, Vershawn Lee, you know, same way. He replaced Jalen Nichols, and, you know, he's a little bit better. Um I think it's time to consider a new center um, because on top of everything else, the snaps uh, were not good for the first time ever on Saturday night, first time this year. Uh, And I think Vinny Murphy's a guy that can come in there. And he's been kind of – since he got to campus, he's been sort of the center of the future. People – you know, I know Hank Manos started those first couple of games uh, when he was young, but they've always liked – all the both staffs like Vinny. Uh, and if you watch him play, he plays with a nasty streak. I think they need that up front. Um, you know, he's he's got some qualities about him that uh, I think I think could help at least solidify the offensive line a bit. I don't, and I don't know. I don't expect miracles out of this group because again, I think the root cause of it is confusion and 
you know, something asking them to do something that maybe they're not able to do um, at the college level. And I've said before, you know, these guys are not dumb guys uh, in terms of learning in school. They're all good students. And then, you know, you look and you see some of the adjustments they made last year with the offensive line sort of in season, and uh, they were able to pick it up pretty quick. So I, I don't understand where the disconnect is. But at some point, you have to make you have to change it. You have to change players because you, you just can't sit there and keep looking at the same stuff you look at over and over again uh, and expect things to change because it's not going to change. It's you know at this point you can kind of say guys it's not going to change. You know, and I've been on a soapbox all year that this group as a whole in the O-line is uh, better than they played. Um, I think there's some guys that will play pro football up there. I uh, can't really tell you exactly who. But, man, you know, you, you've got to do something different, I, I think, up front. You know, and, and, and the ones I can kind of circle are Murphy and then stick with Lee and Wanamaker and, and you deal with it. All right, this next one's a big one. All right, so – there's been, you know, the quarterback group, the the Jason Brown fan club on the message boards and, and elsewhere. And, you know, Brown hasn't made a move to be the starting quarterback. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how it's gone. Uh, I told you guys on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, he's been getting better in practice. He's starting to learn more. Um, I'd go with him and – I'd call it and do what's called call it and haul it. Now, call it and haul it's a, a must champism. Uh, so, those of you that ran off the road or fell off the treadmill by hearing that, just <laughs> bear with me. Uh, call it and haul it's kind of like what Roper did with Jake Bentley his first year. Uh, in other words, you're not going to make it too complicated. You're going to have a handful of plays or maybe more that that guy can run. You're going to go out there, you're going to try to run them fast. And you're going to take advantage of his ability to improvise with his legs. Now, is he Lamar Jackson? No, but he's much more mobile than Zeb Nolan. Poor Zeb Nolan's a sitting duck back there. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to understand like, hey, you know, this guy, um, you know, is, is Brown as fast as Luke Doty when Luke's healthy? No. Um, but this is a guy that I think, and Shane Beamer says this, the head coach, a lot that the kid's a gamer. Uh, and look, I don't want to overstate, you know, what he did. He threw two picks, had a touchdown, threw two picks. Um, I don't want to overstate what he did late because obviously the game was not in doubt. Um, and I do think Jason Brown has a chance to make some mistakes uh, out there. But uh, I also think that you got to live with it because you're just not, you know, right now, guys, South Carolina's just not getting any plays off. Look, look at that. Look at their yardage at halftime and before the fourth quarter of the other night. I mean, it just wasn't, you know, they're just not getting anything off. And, and when you don't, maybe you need a guy that can spark you. I mean, uh, I hate to keep bringing it up. Steve Spurrier did it. Uh, you know, Will Muschamp did it. You know, Will Muschamp put Jake in there. You know, let's change it up, play Jake Bentley. Bobo did it last year with Luke Doty. Um, Spurrier did it all the time. He'd go from Blake – Mitchell to Savelle Newton and back to Blake when the whole line got better, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it, you know, this, this is not something that's a foreign concept to college football programs. Is it completely fair to Zeb Nolan? Because if he could block better, do I think he would be serviceable? Yes. I, I, I think that that's 
a fair assessment, but you know, Zeb's a sitting duck, man. He's a sitting duck. Uh, you guys want to know why he played so well against Vandy? Because Vandy sat back and they could not get a pass rush off on that final drive. And when you can protect him and keep him upright, Zeb can play, but you can't, you know, you watch Jason Brown spin out of trouble, set his feet, fire the football touchdown. Good. Congrats to Trey Kenyon, by the way, and Marshawn Lloyd getting their first career touchdowns. Uh, you know, Kenyon's a guy that's worked his butt off to get in the mix. And he didn't really project to play and he's worked his butt off and playing pretty well. And, you know, you guys know how I feel about Marshawn Lloyd. Anything you could do to get him going, that's great. And a nice little nifty run up in there for the TV, TD. So maybe that gets him going a little more. Uh, but, you know, to me, you're, you're in a situation now to where you're, you're so bad on offense. It, it's not – it's like when somebody has an injury and they say it can't get any worse. It really cannot literally get any worse. You know, so, so I think Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, those guys, they have to do something. Uh, they have to do something. Um, I'm about to. Re- I'm about ready to say, all right, Zaquandre White needs, and he's been good in crunch time and all that. But uh, and so you don't really know level of competition or whatever. But he has been productive, and and I, I like what they do when they get him on the field, put him in the slot, throwing the ball. That uh, I like that. Um, but I think you know maybe at this point, you know, you kind of go, you go with uh, the hot hand as far as running back goes, and. That's Ben White. I mean, 7.4 yards per carry uh, during the game. Not bad. Juju McDowell didn't go very far. Kevin Harris obviously didn't go very far. Kevin Harris, I don't think, is uh, 100%. You know, and, and Beamer did allude to a uh, an issue, you know, with, with him. Uh, maybe it's ankle, ankle last week. Uh, so he's banged up, but you know, if he, if he's not effective, you know, those carries need to go to somebody else, uh, in my opinion. Um, I don't know why Jaheim Bell only had one catch. Uh, you know, coming off a career day against Vanderbilt, where he clearly uh, proved he's someone when he gets the ball in his hands, he's good. I think the kid loves football. Very talented. Don't know about what he does in practice. But uh, I think that, you know, you have to uh, you have to sit there and, you know, try to get him the ball. That, that's one of the few guys that can make plays on this team this year. Um, so, you know, I'll make another uh, plea for E.J. Jenkins. And maybe if Brown is the quarterback, Jenkins does get in some sort of a rhythm because they do have good chemistry from – when they played together at St. Francis. But uh, that's a guy that's 6'7", bad matchup problem, uh, throws it when you throw it to him, or catches it when you throw it, he throws it to him. I mean, you know, and, and I think these receivers actually have, have played much better than I thought they would. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, Carolina this year is probably going to be in trouble. Maybe they did get just enough out of this receiving core because I, for the life of me, I think everybody in the country felt like South Carolina would be able to run the football this year. Well, they can't. I mean, 2.3 yards per carry yet again. Um, you know, you, you talk about other changes defensively. Uh, you know, I, I I think Mo Caba and Debo Williams play a little faster than Staley and Johnson. And the Gamecocks, you know, not to absolve <laughs> the defense of anybody, they, they once again got just routed on the ground. Uh, 290 yards rushing, two touchdowns by the Aggies. Uh, the two guys they had to stop, they didn't stop them. Um 
you know, maybe the, maybe the linebackers uh, need a look in terms of getting some faster guys on the field. Uh, and that's, you know, it's hard to be critical of the defense when those guys are playing about as best they can, you know. Um, but maybe there's some personnel changes there. I think Aaron Sterling at DN, we hadn't heard it from him in a long time. I.e., he's not really doing his thing pass rushing-wise. Uh, I think Jordan Strawn and Jordan Birch probably uh, could be an answer to get more snaps. So those guys are all playing, but then they kind of rotate. So maybe that's not as big of a deal. But I just, you know, Aaron Sterling has kind of been a uh, – since the beginning of the year till now, he, he just – you kind of don't hear from him that much. Maybe, maybe they're blocked. I don't know. You know, but it, it seems like, you know, maybe the other two could stand up. They're, they're both longer athletes, you know. Um, so in other words, batting down passes, that kind of thing, you know, getting getting a rush off. Maybe the other two are a little more suited uh, for that. Um, you know, congrats to Jalen Foster for getting another pick. Uh, and and that's, that's tough because, you know, Carolina gives up a punt return for a touchdown, which hadn't happened a lot. Uh, and then they give the ball right back to A&M, but then A&M throws a pick. And you, you got it on, you know, you get it down to their side of the field, you just go backward. Uh, and that's demoralizing, folks, for a defense. That's demoralizing, you know, because you, you 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 don't get any points off turnovers. You're, you're forcing them. So you don't get any points off turnovers. Carolina fumbles the ball five times against the Aggies and only loses one, but that's not the most acceptable thing either. So, you know, those are all changes I would make, starting with the offense. You know, defense, hey, you could probably – you know, look at Kaba and Williams and say, hey, eventually these guys are going to overtake these other guys um, because they are both fast and talented and quick, twitch a little more. Um, and, that, and you know, keep in mind, that's Damani Staley's never been that quick twitch or that whatever. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, Mo Kaba, who is, and, and then you got Brad Johnson, who's a down lineman for most of his career. And, you know, you come back and you got Debo Williams, but, uh, you know, so maybe it's time. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It's hard for me to really dig into the defense when the offense is going nowhere. And even when the defense helps them, uh, they don't seem to be able to do anything with it. And then that's demoralizing uh, for a football team. Uh, and so th- those are kind of what I, my opinion, what they should do. I uh, don't know if they'll do it. Uh, I know that uh, Shane Beamer in the media has been pretty much adamant that, uh, you know, he's not considering any coaching changes at this time. Um, so I, you know, I, I, you know, right now, if that's how, that's the way it's going to be, you know, I would, I would, I would change it up. Uh, you know, you, you talk about spread offenses and throwing it and, you know, chunking it around the yard, that's kind of what this offense is. If you want to get right down to it. And, you know, you're talking about the Joe Brady system or whatever, which I, you know, for the life of me, you can run Joe Brady's offense all you want. Um, I think that it it's sort of when you're talking about the, the passing elements of it, you sort of don't have the players to go bombs away and look like LSU did in 2019 at all. Uh I don't think it's a terrible idea, you know, to kind of beg, borrow, and steal from Brady or whoever else. Uh, but I also think this. I, I think that, you know, 
if you're going to do it, you need to scale it back to where you can teach it. And I just don't think that's happened at South Carolina. Um, you know, I continue to get, this is really hard for players to process in a week, that kind of thing, you know, so going with Brown, simplifying things, maybe using a little tempo, let him do his thing. I think that could help this team. Uh, you're playing a team in Florida next that loves to dial up the blitz. Todd Grantham loves to heat up quarterbacks. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, do you really think Nolan could sit back there and get protected enough to pick them apart? I don't think so. Now, you give them all of a sudden give Zeb time. I mean, against Florida, yeah, I've seen lots of quarterbacks dice Florida up when they try to, you know, do what they do with the blitzes under Todd Grantham and stuff. But I, I think he's a sitting duck. And I think Jason Brown uh, needs the opportunity right now. You know, haven't always felt that he was the answer uh, for this team because, you know, you, you sit there and you watch him play and, and practice and stuff like that. And you, you hear things and stuff and it's, it's well, you know, you just don't know. Um, and like I said, I'm not overrating or overstating what he did against Texas A&M because that was mop-up duty, garbage time, whatever. But I'll tell you a little story. I'll go back to 1992. Gamecocks were getting drug at Alabama. Uh, also lost 48 to seven, something like that. Well, Tannehill goes in, right? Uh, Wright Mitchell, I think, was the quarterback, or maybe Blake Williamson started that game. Uh, and so they go to Tannehill. Tannehill goes 10 for 17 and mop up duty, scores a touchdown, gets the start the following week against Mississippi State. Carolina finishes five and one. Am I expecting that kind of turnaround? No, but I, I'm just saying sometimes you get to a point in this season where you know, you got to give somebody else a shot to see if you can get a spark. And just because of the skill sets, you know, Jason Brown can move his feet a little better. It's not that he's never going to get sacked. It's not that he's Lamar Jackson out there. But he's a guy that can throw – I like what he does when he throws on the run because he keeps his eyes downfield, escapes pressure, and boom. He did that on the touchdown to Kenyon. Beautiful play. Beautiful play. So – you know, if you're, if you're South Carolina, I mean, you could also, hey, look, man, if you like to run the zone read, which, uh, you know, they were talking about doing with Doty. You know, Brown uh, has a uh, a good enough skill set to keep it and keep defenses honest. You know, the only thing you got to worry about him is mistakes. I think I think he's a guy that trusts his arm a whole lot. Uh, and, and he's going to throw some picks, you know, just like he did the other night. Hopefully he doesn't. But – I don't know that you can necessarily totally worry about that at this point because you're going nowhere. You're not going anywhere. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, it's probably time to consider what you can do over the open date. What can you do to somehow find a way to spark this offense? Maybe they don't. Uh, like I said, this is not me reporting it. This is my opinion. Maybe they don't go with, other guys, maybe they go with Brown and he's awful and they lose 44 to three or whatever to Florida um, back to the drawing board. Right. But I, I would, I would just see, you know, what could happen and, and you know, go do a little tempo, uh, which is what he's comfortable with, you know, get him out, get him to get the ball to EJ Jenkins because uh, he's got chemistry there, but he's also shown the ability to find other guys. So, you know, let him run a little bit, you know, there's just, but a lot of different things you can do, you know, to try to give your offense a spark. Defense, you know, personnel out there, like there is what it is. 
The only thing I would say is maybe Kaba uh, and Williams could give you a little more speed and athleticism. Um, at the same time, when you're talking about playing Florida, you guys know that offense is you, you got to play assignment football because if you don't, you know, Embry Jones or Anthony Richardson or whoever's going to tuck it and run and make you pay big time. And they're very physical and all that. But maybe you need a little more athleticism in there. I don't know. You know, Clayton White, those guys have to make that decision. And like I said, when your offense, your defense continuously makes plays to put your offense in a good position to set them up and, you know, defense playing complementary football, it's just demoralizing when you got to go right back out there and stop them because you can't do anything, anything uh, with it, with the ball. And so that's my thing there. Obviously, there's a lot, a lot, 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 lot of uh, questions in the uh, iHealth Consulting mailbag. I'll tell you about iHealth Consulting right now. Uh, I've told you how Daniel Owens with iHealth can help save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, et cetera, without sacrificing quality. But you may be wondering how it works. Well, it's simple. Call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713. Set up a quick phone call or face-to-face meeting. Daniel's going to lay it all out. He's going to examine where there may be savings. Are you paying junk fees? Are your rates too high? All of the above. Then you may be wondering, well, how does iHelp get paid? Or you may think a consultant will charge more than they are worth. I've told you about my opinions on certain consultants. That is not applicable to Daniel Owens, though. You might think he'll save me $3,000 but charge me four. Well, that's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first-year savings. Not only that, if they can't save you any money, you don't owe them a dime. So it's risk-free. Tell Daniel you heard about it right here on the podcast, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? Proud sponsor of the I help consulting mailbag. Two ways to get uh get um hey uh you at ESPN Upstate, Mark Ryan, and those guys want to stream their show in Columbia. Hmm. Be interesting. Uh, <laughs> just saw that on the Twitter. All right. So, Thomas, and you can – all right. So, here's how you reach the, the mailbag. You can tweet to me at the Big Spur Pod, uh, or you can email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Thomas says, JC, what are the odds we're going to have a new OC? Going to be completely honest, if Satterfield is back next year and it looks this bad, I'm going to find it hard to support Beamer. After all the years of must yet, my heart can't take stubbornness. I mean, you know, Will Muschamp changed offensive coordinators every two years at Carolina. And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I'm with you. Everybody's tired of seeing bad offense. Uh, I think one of the reasons you make a coaching change is because, you, you you know, maybe things aren't going right in that department and you get guys in the position and the new staff comes in and, and they try to ma- maximize, right? You know, good coaches try to maximize. And I'm not, I'm not saying they have it, but, you know, th- there's a lot going on there that just doesn't make any sense as far as the offense goes. And, you know, you hear things too complex. You hear things, it's a pro-style system for real, like not a – College level pro style system, that kind of thing. And uh, I mean, it's hard. That's hard for Dodi, Zeb Nolan, Jason Brown, whoever the quarterback is, to go out there and pick it up. And, you know, I, I think sometimes you can outthink yourself and your players get confused and they, and they are. And it just, 
it's just tough. And then you throw in that, you know, the beginnings of games have been disasters and, you know, you, you got a bunch of guys that you probably need to settle down and it just, it just hasn't happened. Uh, especially on the road at home, it's been the opposite. Carolina, Vandy, and Troy, they've gotten off to good starts, uh, and then something's happened. Uh, they stall and then have to win it at the end. Uh, Kentucky was a bad start, especially offensively. Gamecocks defense played very gritty in that game. Um, but, you know, lucky to be down 10-zip in that one, in my opinion. Um, so it was a bad start, came back, made it a game, unfortunately uh, did not win. So, you know, do I th- the odds of a new OC? I don't know. I, I just don't know. And the, the reason I'm not like ready to say it's going to happen uh, is because I I'm looking at some of the public comments, you know, and that just gives me pause. Uh, do I think there needs to be a whole new plan on offense? Yes, uh, and I've thought that for weeks now. So I'm not telling you anything. Uh, I'm not reversing course here on that subject. I'm just saying that, hey, you know, the, 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 that's what I would do, but I don't know for sure that that's going to happen. Gamecock fan three, same subject. Are there any play caller options currently on the staff, Kimry or one of the analysts who has actually called plays before that the page could turn to? I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, Eric's done it. It's not his offense. Uh, Justin Stepp, I think, is a capable play caller. Um, there's an analyst on staff that I think's called plays before. But, uh, you know, you, you, you got to – you know, I get it. You know, it, it, it's probably such a situation to where if you have a new play caller, you're almost going to need to have a new offense, and you can't really install that in two weeks, right? Um, so as for this season and some sort of mid-year change – yeah, I don't know. And I, I just uh, – I don't know about that. So, I think, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. So, I, I don't know that anything's going to happen um, anytime soon. Now, if it were me, yes. I would have uh, probably after Tennessee changed up, you know, behind the scenes at least. Maybe nothing publicly, but I would have at least changed it up because – uh, there were some things that happened in that game that were just crazy and inexcusable. So there we go. Ryan says, like I told my Gamecock buddies last week, beating Vandy in the fashion we did was the worst thing that could have happened to this team. Uh, well, yeah, if you, if, you, if you mean it like from the standpoint of a loss would have facilitated massive change, maybe. I, I get it. Um I also agree that a win is a win, and sometimes, you know, you take it and move on and you just flush it. Now, now what you may be saying here, Ryan, is this. It's like, uh, so that that forced Zeb Nolan to start the next game because he won you the game, and he's been number two anyway. And so if you're thinking maybe they, if they just made the switch last week to Brown or whoever, uh, going out there and maybe things would have been different. I, I don't know, but uh, – I didn't – I see where you're coming from. I just like the wins. I just like the wins. Uh, DeSalvo says, every week we hear about how hard the offensive genius is going to work. I'm assuming you're talking about Marcus Satterfield, the ball to our playmakers every week. And every week we show he is incapable of doing that. Harris and Juju, two carries each. Harris wasn't really all that 
hundred percent. I'll be honest. I don't know what Juju probably uh, could have used the ball a little more. Uh, I would think Bell one catch at one target. Jenkins one target. I'm all I'm with you. Look, the, the playmakers on this team. You know, and, and I'd even take Kevin Harris out of it right now because I, I just don't think he's been as effective. Um, I mean, even though he doesn't have any room to run, uh, you know, he just doesn't look like himself, even when he has headroom. So, and he eats carries. So, you know, you, you give, and he only had two against AM, but you, you give him the ball 16 times. That's uh, 16 less for Juju. You know, like Lloyd's touchdown run hopefully gets him going. I don't know that he's like – I think, you know, everybody around here is sort of used to, you know, the Marcus Lattimore recovery period where Marcus came back uh, from his first knee injury and, and you know, took him, took him a couple of games to get back to be uh, himself. But he got back. I uh, mean, you know, by the time – you know, I mean, shoot, that game he got hurt in Tennessee against Tennessee. It was probably his best game of the year. Um, but sometimes running backs can't get back. I mean, sometimes sometimes they need a year after an ACL like that to get going. Maybe that's Lloyd's problem. Maybe it's not. When the kid gets six carries a game, you know, and and a lot of times, you know, yeah, he'll he'll lose the football or fumble or something. Uh, sometimes, not a lot of times. Sometimes he does, but then. He's the type of guy, if he gets in a rhythm and gets going, he, he can be pretty good. You know, McDowell obviously needs more touches. So, you're, you're right, man. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't get it. And, you know, you talk about the media, and I am I keep swearing I'm not going to sit there and keep bringing media things up because I don't – you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff's coach speak, right? But Marcus Satterfield in his meeting with the media on Wednesday always talks – it seems like he'll talk about a guy like Juju or Jaheim, and then the game that weekend, the guy didn't get the ball. <laughs> You know, Jaheim Bell, you, you don't have a ton of playmakers on this team. Get that kid the ball. I mean, Nick Muse needs the ball thrown to him. And that's, that's what Nick Muse does best is catch passes. So, I don't know. And, and that wasn't the impression you heard all offseason. We're going to have matchups and, and get our guys in good matchups and, they're, you know, whatever, the H-backs, the tight ends, whatever. And it just hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. Um, so that's, you know, that's the most, that's one of the most disappointing things I think about the offense, uh, is that they, you know, they're not going down swinging because they're not getting the ball to the guys that give them a chance. So golf Cox says, JC, you want to ask something meaningful or that has not been asked or discussed? You have said over and over, and things have changed. I'm not sure what to think about the coaches and where this is headed. Really past embarrassed. Give him time, Beamer, though, to write the ship. I am pissed and not sure where to direct it. Players are playing hard and can only do what is out there for them. Is there really an answer that Beamer can give, or is that ship sailed? Well, I sort of answered your question in the opener. Uh, the Brought to you by Heritage Digital, by the way. Um, about what I would do. And, and and those are just ideas. I mean, you know, you're, you're not – it's eight games in, you're not – you really can't reinvent the wheel. What you have to do is maximize the last four games. Because, believe it or not, this team is four and four, and they still have a chance to get to a bowl game, which would make everybody feel happy. You win the game at the end of the year, even if you don't get to a bowl, everybody's going to be happy. So there's uh, – you know, there's what I have to say about that. 
Um, you know, I, uh, I'd go with Brown. I'd simplify. I'd run tempo. I'd get the ball to my playmakers and let the chips fall where they may. Because if you get the ball to guys like Bell and White and McDowell and to a lesser extent Lloyd and Muse and those those guys can make plays, you know. And, and I didn't include Kevin Harris in that because I just don't. I just I don't know that Kevin Harris is a hundred percent. I they may need to really look into his situation. Lloyd, White, Lloyd and White would be guys like that. Josh Van, you know, I think Xavier Leggett said some nice things. Jalen Brooks is out, maybe out for a while, personal issue. But, uh, you know, E.J. Jenkins, uh, you know, there's something you can do, you know, to kind of simplify all this and go. And I'd make those changes on the O-line. And that would kind of be the last – That we're, we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel here, though, on offense to where that's – Probably the last thing you can do. And, and I think the open date comes at a good time because the entire team's kind of banged up. You've had some very physical games uh, right here in a row. It's a good time for the open date. Maybe they come back refreshed and refocused. But, yeah, specifically, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. So, A. Riddle says, Jones in for my Big Spur pod. Thanks, A. My question is, if Shane doesn't, make a move during the bye week is there a possibility of him losing the team i've heard there's some disagreements inside the program already seems like a change could show willingness to do what's necessary i'll say this i think the fans would would be happy but i I don't know about the players i i I just you know players like players need consistency and and things like that you know i I think mixing it up even if you even if marcus satterfield still calling the offense you know, mixing up new quarterback, uh, you know, do what he can do, get the ball to your playmakers. I, I think that would make for a happier offense players wise. But, um, you know, that that's kind of the deal there. Uh, so I don't, I don't see Beamer making it. If there was something that happened during the open week, uh, there would have been press conference talk last night and there wasn't he actually said he wasn't even considering making a move so uh i think what you got to do is if you know you, you won't change you know obviously if things do not go well these next four games there's going to be a big case for it right obviously if they turn it around you know maybe maybe they, it's just one of those things coaches do this sometimes oh i should have been playing them the whole time you know, obviously coaches sometimes do that. And Spurrier did it. Everybody does it. So don't – you can't – if they do turn it around, you know, then that's just what needed to happen. And you got to just kind of chalk it up to, hey, you know, sometimes coaches stick with guys and they don't make the right personnel moves. And um, it takes them a while to figure it out. So, and that's – really good coaches have done that before. Really good coaches have done that before. So, I, you know, and, and this, that's really the two directions that this thing's going to go. And I hope that what we're not seeing is something sort of like 2016 where, you know, that defense under Muschamp, the first Muschamp defense, actually started out the season and played pretty well, if you remember correctly. And then as the year went on and there was more and more film and more and more tape, it went sort of downhill. You remember Western Carolina scored 31 uh, in that season and, Luckily for the Gamecocks, the offense in in the games that they had a chance in, they didn't really have a chance at Florida or Clemson that year. But, you know, the offense ended up 
saving the day, so to speak. Uh, so, so what you hope is that this defensive, these defensive issues against the run are not things that, you know, all these guys have figured it out. They know what to run because teams are throwing it better too against the game. Cost. Teams, offenses in general are playing much better against the South Carolina defense than it has. So just the hope there is that, you know, maybe you tweak the linebackers or something and, you know, you get back to playing good defense. You also, man, maybe these guys are worn out. So the off week probably helps defense and special teams, to be honest. Ken says, Shane Beamer said tonight, my confidence level is fine with all of our coaches. Is that just coach speak for I'm not firing anyone right now? Or does Beamer actually think that? I don't know what he thinks. Um, I, uh, I know that knowing him, it, 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 you're probably never going to get him to throw anybody under the bus in um, – with regards to, hey, this coach is bad, whatever. I mean, it's just not him, you know. Uh, so that's sort of the deal, in my opinion. Um, you know, you're not going to get Beamer to go out there and throw anybody under the bus. Uh, you know, people are going to oh, it's just his buddy, his friend, or whatever. Well, you know, he's not going to throw guys that aren't his buddy under the bus, you know. He's – going to maintain positivity. That doesn't mean that changes will never happen. That just means in public, that's the thing. Uh, and that's the deal. So Phil says, maybe Shane can take notes from Brett Bielema to appease the fan base. Also from a media perspective. Well, Brett called out his players, you know, and lo and behold, they go into nine overtimes and beat Penn state. So whatever he did worked, he caught some crap about it, but, uh, again, that's Brett. That's not Shane Beamer, and different people have different personalities. So, you know, and, and I don't think it matters because we've seen in college football all kinds of personalities become successful head coaches. Uh, and I know that with this fan base right now, you know, because of the, I guess, uh, cryptic injury reports and things like that under the previous staff – People are just like, wow, you know, we're through the media, everybody's like, it's just a load of BS or whatever. And when things are bad, you know, things like that get magnified. Things like that get magnified. And that's uh, that's the thing uh, there. So it's uh, just one of those things. So I uh, – I don't know. You know, do I think if he shook things up at a press conference that may help a little bit? Maybe, but I'm not him. And he and I are probably, you know, I know this for a fact, he's a different personality of my than I am. And so and everybody's different. So that's the whole thing. Um uh, somebody's complaining about alcohol abuse at Williams Bryce Stadium. The crowds hadn't been big enough to worry about that. So any, everything gets uh, magnified, I guess. So here we go. Uh, we're going to switch now to the rest of the iHelp Consulting mailbag. 13 emails and the inside the game at gmail.com. So glad to do this on a Monday, too. Get some more episodes in this week. Maybe talk a little recruiting, a little basketball, that kind of thing with everything. Jared says, JC, what are your thoughts about Carolina maybe getting Spencer Rattler in the offseason? He lost his job. He'll probably want to transfer schools. 
With Beamer's ties to Oklahoma, do you think he can transfer to us? Would it be a good fit? I'm excited for the second half of the season. Going to the Auburn game with my dad for his 64th birthday. Can't wait. Well, I hope that Auburn game works out for you, man. As far as Rattler goes, I, I don't know how he would fit in. So it just depends. And this is going to be a big subject if they go after a quarterback in the portal. You know, Rattler's big thing is he's not great at reading defenses, and that's why they struggled. Um, and when he had all those receivers last year, he's just kind of chunking it, you know, let's go chunk it down the field. Uh, Oklahoma lost a lot of players. Their, their receiving core is not as great as maybe it once was. And Rattler really struggled. And so, <clears throat> you, you know, are you going to bring Spencer Rattler in and plug him into Satterfield's system? I would say nay on that, my friend. <laughs> because if he's struggling with that system – uh, it'll blow his mind. I mean, I, I I think now, you know, you play a little bit with Jason Brown, you decide to go a little more spread tempo, that kind of thing. Absolutely, Spencer Rattler would be good. But kids from Arizona, though, and look, some school is probably going to, you know, like, look, there may be a job opening at Arizona State because of Herm Edwards and the off-field stuff, and you know, whoever got that job may want to bring Spencer back or, or whatever. He's kind of a West Coast kid, I'm sure – you know, talent-wise, there'll be a lot of people that, that want him. Um, but, you know, the whole hitting the portal for a quarterback thing is going to be a very interesting subject this offseason, in my opinion. Mark was listening to Prediction Friday. He says, we need to support this team and Coach Beamer. We have a lot of passionate fans that get in our emotions during games, myself included, and we as fans – we need to do a better job of refocusing our emotions for the good of the program. And that's, that's hard right now, Mark. I mean, it, it really is, especially when you're eight weeks into a season and everybody sees the same issues, the same issues, you know? And then you got other aspects like special teams and defense and the issues on offense are starting to impact that those areas because those kids are trying really hard. They're confident and they, they just – you know, again, you get a pick, it's only 7 nothing. You know, you, you get a pick, you stop, and you just can't do anything with it. And then A&M starts to do things with it, ball game. You know, that was it. There's no way you're going to win after that. Appreciate it, though. And, and I do think this, and, and I was talking about the fans last week showing up. That all stands, folks. I mean, you probably need to, you know, show up anyway if you, if you really care about the program uh, just because – when that starts to happen, your your recruiting starts to erode. I mean, it's just it's just terrible. Phil Soda City Chicken says, "Thank you, Soda City Chicken, for the email inside the Gamecocks at gmail Yet again, sitting here in the second quarter before A and M is up forty nine, <laughs> and as their backups in, and we score two touchdowns, and people say guys fought hard and proved this game as the game went on. I've never seen an offense this incompetent." The box snaps. That's why I think there needs to be a new center. Because because once that leaves, you know, you're, you're getting – and all year, you know, I've, I've sort of given Eric Douglas the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, look, he's a, he's been around a long time, played a lot of ball, good kid, good, good person, right? Um, but he's not super strong. You know, there's stronger guys in the weight room and stuff like that. And when you, the snaps start going errant – then what are, you know, you probably need to make a change at center. I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line. Uh, hits in the backfield, guys are still going loose. We're not this incompetent under Muschamp's offenses ever. Uh, unfortunately, I agree. 
I love Beamer, but this OC hire isn't working out. We should not be this bad. Sorry to be so negative, but I love this university, this program, and the city of Columbia too much to accept this. And that, that's what it's all about. The criticism and the negativity and all that is just because people care. And it it would be sad if people didn't. Like I, like I expect after a game like that to have 13-plus emails and six-plus tweets here in the iHealth Consulting mailbag. So – uh, you're right. It's it's a bad offense right now. Um, like I said, I had some suggestions or ideas that maybe they end up doing that could help help it get fixed. But I, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and scoring against backups late in games are great. Um, the only reason there's any sort of positivity for me at all out of it is Brown got in there and, as a quarterback and made some things happen. And you can kind of evaluate the skill set there. And you can kind of get the gears going a little bit with, hey, you know, this guy, the other guy's a sitting duck, unfortunately. And this guy can kind of get out of pressure and chunk the ball down the field. And, you know, if you can't just line up and play ball, you know, uh, within the scheme of your offense and you need some improvisation, uh, Zeb's not going to get that for you. But uh, Jason Brown may. And it's a big may, but may. And um, that's why I think they should go with him. I just uh, – I've seen too much. Uh, you know, to sit there and think, well, miraculously, the offensive line is going to block better against Florida and all that. And that's nothing against Zeb, but the guy just needs to – he's a quarterback that has to have protection. There's quarterbacks like that. You know, you have to protect him. And Carolina can't protect him. So – that's the deal there. And as far as all the whole plays get, you know, and that's the thing too, is that when you, you have coaches that are so, and he is, Marcus Satterfield's more aligned with the NFL than college. Amazingly, because he only spent one year up there. But when you have coaches aligned with that type of thinking, you know, it, it in the NFL, running the system is everything, right? It's everything because you have to do it because you're going to get beat if you don't. I mean, that is you got all the time to work on game planning and stuff like that, and you're going to get beat if you don't know how to run the system. That's the bottom line in that level of football. College is a lot more room to improvise. And some of the best college offenses out there over the years have been very simple, <laughs> not that complex, and you know, it lets your players just go play. South Carolina doesn't have a ton of players, but the ones they do, you know, again – Look at the touches this past weekend, you know, in a game like that. So, uh, and what that tells me is that, you know, things are kind of on a script early and then you get back to them and then it's just like a collection of plays. What do we do now kind of thing. And, um, you know, you're going to have games where you look at the stat sheet afterward and go, my God, he didn't get the ball. And, you know, he didn't. So I understand the frustration, Philip. I really do. Thank you so much. Brad says, Brad from Belton, Belton Honeypath. Go Bears. As I'm typing this, Carolina just went in the locker room down 31 nothing to Texas A&M. We try to keep this short and sweet. I've seen a lot of Carolina football dating back to the mid-90s. I'm also an alum and a Gamecock Club member. What do you think is the ultimate factor in holding back the program for sustained success? Um, I understand that there are a lot of factors, but if you had to name one or two, what would they be? The program and fan base deserve better. I'm just trying to figure out why we can't ever seem to get on the hump over the hump. If you had to put your finger on one thing, what would it be? I, you know, I think it's uh, – I think there's a lot of – it's consistency in a lot of ways. 
Um, I think that in terms of putting everything together, and I'll I'll say that, it's it's kind of a funny little joke I make sometimes. I'm like, well, you know, being a Carolina fan is like the movie It by Stephen King. You know, you're going along blissfully happy uh, with a balloon in your hand or whatever, having a great day, and bam, there's a satanic clown in the sewer fixing to screw your whole life up. And that's happened. And I kind of go on to make a joke about Brad Scott. I was like, and there's Brad Scott looking like John Wayne Gacy with a balloon in one hand that says 95 CarQuest Bolt Champs and a bottle of Hunt's Ketchup in the other. Because <laughs> I lived through the Brad Scott era. Uh, but it's always like one thing or another. You know, you, you had Spurrier. Spurrier's great. Uh, he decides to, hey, uh, having a great coaching staff, even though – I didn't have a lot of success at South Carolina until I had a great coaching staff that could go recruit and help me get players. Uh, that's not important. I'll just go hire whoever, just like I did at Florida, with the exception of Bob Stoops, and away we go. <laughs> you know, and I can't blame Spurrier for that. Well, then Muschamp comes in. Good recruiter, could get some players, couldn't, you know, something about game day, couldn't figure out offensive coordinator. And then lo and behold, by the time it was all said and done, defense was a mess. Probably could have made changes at both those spots, but, you know, and then wasn't a popular hire to begin with. So, you know, whatever goodwill, like if Shane Beamer started, you know, went to a bowl this year, won nine in year two, even if he slipped to seven in year three, uh, I think he would have a lot more support than Muschamp did. But, you know, you end that third year with a shutout loss to Virginia, and that's shocking enough. Then you go back to Charlotte and you lose North Carolina and you finish four. And actually the, the bottom just fell out with him. And, you know, you can look back and trace sort of some of his steps and decisions uh, at both places, at Florida and South Carolina. It could have been different. I, I, I know this. I think, you know, it was a situation where maybe that hire, if it was going to be made, needed to come with a – and I don't like Aiden. Keep, keep, keep in mind, I don't, I don't like athletic directors butting in on staff hires. But if I were Ray Tanner, I said, okay, that's fine. Um, nobody that was on offense at Florida needs to come with you, uh, and we'll go from there. And uh, because Roper immediately became like a whipping boy for everything that was wrong. Oh, my God, he was at Florida. Um and Roper deserved to be fired when all was said and done, you know, and, and, you know, that was the only guy on offense at Florida that he brought with it. Everybody else like Sean Elliott, Bobby Bentley, uh, McClendon, all those guys had never Pat, uh, Pat Washington. They didn't, they all never coached with him before. And so maybe just a new starter or whatever. So, but, but, you know, like I said, the satanic clown analogy, there's always something, and it, it it changes with Carolina football. Now this year, I, I think I, I think obviously bad plan on offense. You know, the, the, and, the, and I said this over the offseason, the, the plan on paper was good. Um, I'm getting ripped because I said all the hires made sense. I look making sense is not a predictor of success, folks. Uh, and the devil is in the details. They satanic clown is in the details sometimes. Uh, and I said from the beginning, um, you know, and obviously you look back and I defended the Satterfield hire when people were highly skeptical and I was wrong. 
that I thought he would do a good job. I don't even know that I said he would do a good job. I said, I like the plan and we'll see if he can call plays. Well, as we've gotten into the season and you're scratching your head going, what the hell? You start to dig and you start to find out some things that you didn't know. And you're like, well, uh, this is this is not a good idea. Because <laughs> you thought for sure that the first thing as a college coach you do is, can your kids learn it? Can your kids do it? Because you can ask any coach in the world. It's like, if they can't, if your kids can't get it, it's a dumpster fire. No matter how good or bad you are talent-wise, you know? You'd almost rather line up in the, the daggum I formation and, you know, try to pound people. You know, it sounds weird to do with this offensive line, but, but they can't do much else. So, I don't know, but that's the one thing. You know, big picture-wise, man, we'll see what happens. You know, people are going to blame the board of trustees. They're going to blame Ray. They're going to blame this, that, and the other. It's it's a deal where I think there's a – with the last two hires in football, there's been an innate fear because – and, and I've, I felt this. I, I didn't have the podcast at the time, but I felt it toward the end of Spurrier. I was like, you know – it's been 15 and a half years. There's been South Carolina has not fired a coach since 1998. Um, and that was more for the second, second search than in Beamer. Um, you know, Mike McGee was the AD, the late Mike McGee was the AD and went out and hired Holtz and then Spurrier back to back. You know, those two guys just happened to be available. Uh, but those were the number one candidates and they got the job. Look, you know, you start thinking about it after life after Steve Spurrier, and you're like, "Well, there's nobody out there." I mean, you could have made, maybe Mac Brown, but I mean, look at you know, Mac Brown. Nobody talks about because they were still recruiting well for some reason, but they've been disappointing this year. You know, in classic Mac Brown fashion, um, sort of like some of his teams at Texas. So, w- would that have been an answer? That would have followed the mo of successful coach elsewhere. And maybe he'd recruit a lot. I don't know. But, you know, I think there's an innate fear with this fan base after Holtz and after Spurrier. Those guys were such huge names that anybody that comes in here that's not got a resume like the, those guys have, and you're not going to be able to hire a guy like that because they're not, they're not always available. Um, you know, who, who's in that category? You know, Bobby Petrino? <laughs> you know, that? no. Uh, so it's uh, – you sort of knew that, hey, well, these guys, you know, whoever gets the job is going to be behind the eight ball. And that's that's two straight uh, times that, you know, people were just, you know, I think this year the struggles on offense, it's not panic. It's just disbelief in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Muschamp, you know, first year he was there, it actually ended up better than people thought. People got a bad taste in their mouth about the Clemson game because at the time – you know, that series, you know, closer to one by five the year before in Columbia, then it was 56 to seven. So that was, that was just a downer, but I think it was because it was new, um, you know, so, so I get it. There's, there's, there's concern, you know, because you, you, you don't, you know, with, with the other two guys, Holtz and Spurrier, you, you had a track record to fall back on. Oh, well, you know, lose first year at Notre Dame, they're five and six. He's turned it around second year every single school. Lo and behold, he did. With Steve Spurrier, you know, a lot of great wins with those seven and six, eight and five teams, Clemson, Georgia, 
Florida, Tennessee, the teams Carolina needs to beat. They didn't beat them all the time, but they beat them enough to where finally, you know, you, you change out the coaching staff, you get take advantage of some other people getting fired, you get players and you have a roster that, hey, you add Marcus Lattimore to that team and they win the East and then 11 and 2, 11 and 2, 11 and 2, away you go. Um, it was just a situation where if you if you look at Spurrier's career in college, he didn't he didn't always didn't you know Duke, Florida, wherever didn't really leave. I think I think one of those Duke teams he left maybe when second third year after he left did go eight and four. Spurrier Jr. was on that team, uh, but you know Zook came in and immediately had to recruit uh, and get lost games and all this other stuff. I mean. It hadn't been easy. I also don't know that Barry Wilson, Ron Zook, and, you know, Will Muschamp, when you look at the guys that have replaced Spurrier, you know, those guys don't all have super-duper track records uh, as head coaches. So, you know, that, that's kind of how it is with, with that uh, in terms of when you had Spurrier there and they had it rolling, how does it keep going? And that, that was a concern of mine really – dating back to the 2013 season because you could see that on, on defense especially there were just not not a lot of good young players you know there were a lot of some older guys some guys left too early that type of thing and that defense in 2013 if you remember they they were not a they were not like 2012 you know even though Clowney was on the field so um just different things there we'll we'll figure this out and and like you said if you had to put your finger on one thing, what would it be? I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things. I think there's a lot of things. And I'm not saying it won't turn. I'm not saying it won't turn. Jason says, six minutes left in the third. We have six yards. Negative 20 in rushing, 27 passing. I'm at a loss for words. Was hoping for a competitive game, even if it was just two or three quarters, but this is hard to watch. I'm not going to ask the same burnt question about the OCRO line, but things need to change soon. Just need an event. Keep up the good work with the pod. I look forward to it every week. Thanks, Jason. And hang in there, buddy. I mean, uh, you know, so <laughs> we'll see sort of what happens and what changes need to be made. Uh, I do think Jason Brown, uh, based on a text I just got, will be the starting quarterback, though. So um, for the Florida game. And uh, we'll see if it gets addressed. Uh, Dale says, or if it gets announced, you know, you never know. Maybe some gamesmanship there. The game was, Dale says the game was ugly as expected. My question is about the second half when we were going against their second string. I want to know why was it so hard for us to score against another team's backups? For the most part, we still had our starters in, so it wasn't like two against two. Also, what happened? Do we need to target Bell more? Then we don't get in the ball. Love the game, Cox. Man, this season's hard to watch. I agree uh, with Bell and the second – I mean, it's a bad offense, you know. I mean, there's just no way to spin it. Everything about that offense sucks, you know, and and, and not the players, you know. Because, like, okay, so so we'll use Jaheim as an example, right? Six receptions, 130. When he gets the ball, he makes plays. So you go into a game, who were you expecting to make plays against that group? And I'm talking about you, Dale. So, yeah, and, and then sat right there in the press conference. A, a week ago, a, a week before, that was Juju McDowell or, or whenever. You know, Zaquandre White was brought up in that press conference and he got not touch it. So 
it was a uh, it was hard to watch. And the offense, hopefully, they make some changes. You know, Brown starting your quarterback, maybe it gives them a boost. Maybe it does. We have two weeks to talk about it. Thanks, Dale. Um, Jeff says, JC, attendance is an issue across the college football world. It's just a cost too costly to justify many or even out of reach for most, most, most fans. Then all the other factors going on COVID TV coverage has gotten so much better. And so far in a lot of ways, better than sitting in nosebleed, I believe you're right. Then you have the crowd that can afford season tickets that are just not going to show up. They watch a bad team struggle. So while Beamer has bemoaned the crowds, I don't know that he's bemoaned it. Now, maybe I'm missing a comment, but he does mention the fans need to show up. Um, and, and I don't think he's complaining about the – I think he's just trying to encourage everybody to show because you got Florida, Auburn, and Clemson coming in. You know, that, that's you know, that's kind of a – those are three teams you want to beat. So uh, I agree it's not good to have so many empty seats, but until something's done to lower cost, improve the stadium experience, more comfortable seating, heat mitigation – on-field performance, we're going to see lackluster crowds. These are the true reasons for lower, lower attendance, not these keyboard warriors protesting. They have a very limited effect and mainly preach to the choir. I agree with all that. That's the point I was trying to make last week. The protesters, they're not – they don't matter, really, in the grand scheme of things. Unfortunately, most of them think they do. <laughs> so you got to deal with them. But um, I, I think you, you nailed it perfectly. You know, I was watching Florida State. They played UMass. Uh, over the weekend and you know it looked like last year in the stands at Doak Campbell and they've been winning you know they've turned it around they won three in a row now under Mike Norvell there's nobody there so that's uh that's not an issue that's uh exclusive to South Carolina I, I I do think it would be good and helpful for the program from a recruiting standpoint uh, for there be to be good crowds for the last three. And I know there will be for the last one. There always is. So appreciate it, Jeff. John says, dear JC, love the podcast gets me through the day. And, I, and this is going to be the last question. Cause we're going, we're going way long this thing here, man. Um, and I'll get to more mailbag questions tomorrow. JC love the podcast gets me through each day. I'm writing this watching the Braves and Dodgers because I had to turn off that abysmal game between the beloved Gamecocks and the Yankees. And uh, I'll say something about this right now. Yeah, halftime of the Gamecock game, I went to uh, sort of one of my local hangouts and watched the Braves and Dodgers end this game sort of on two different TVs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was bad. And the Braves were about to go to the World Series, and I've been a Braves fan my whole life, so, you know. I know we have to give Shane time to see what kind of team we're going to be under him, but how long does he get if he doesn't make a change at OC? I could be wrong, but it seems like everyone knows that the offensive scheme is too complicated, except for Beamer and Satterfield. If this kind of poor offensive performance continues, do you think Shane gets rid of Satterfield or rides him out? That's a good question, and I don't have the answer. Um, I'd like to sit there and tell you, absolutely, there'll be a change that's made. My gut is, if things don't get significantly better – that there may be, but I'd also know that, you know, this, this team for this year is going to go down swinging and maybe something they do works. Maybe Brown's the answer. I I don't know. I I, I think even if they do, if you're Shane Beamer, you do have to sit there and consider, look, 
is this something, this, this offense, is this sustainable? Okay. In other words, you know, are you going to be able to get a quarterback to come in and run it? Because they put a ton on the quarterback and they check a lot and they do this, that, and the other. It's very complicated NFL offense. Are you going to be able to recruit well enough at quarterback to do this? I think you also have to understand you're in the, the age of a transfer portal. And Beamer knows this, having been at Oklahoma and all the transfer quarterbacks they got in. Of course, those guys are all elite. But you're in the portal era where you're going to have a, an influx of new guys every year. Are you, are, you know, if, if these guys can't learn it, are the new guys going to be able to? You have to consider all that. Like, How, how are you teaching it? How is this? You know, where is the disconnect? And I think that's the question you have to ask yourself, regardless of any sort of hypothetical turnaround uh, this year. Um, and, and I'll say this too, as far as the fans go, uh, most of them are ready for a change right now. And so if there is no change, um, I'm sure that there'll be some people that will hop off the Beamer bandwagon. And the only thing, uh, to turn that around is going to be to fix it, to get things fixed. So that's it right now. So there we go. Um, one more. We'll do one more from uh, Twitter. Uh, and just to answer this, because I answered earlier, if you were Beamer, would you pursue Rattler if he ends up in the portal? Why or why not? Answered it earlier. If, if depending on the offensive system, you're running next year, uh, of course I would go get him if, if you could – you know, get that type of guy that you know, could fit him because I, I think he is a talent. But you have to also understand he's a guy that's not, you know, he got in trouble this year in a good college offense not being able to read defense. So if it's the def- reading defensive issue that, that that was obvious at Oklahoma this year, uh, you're going to throw him into what Mark Satterfield wants to do? I, I, you know, I'm just like not uh, – I'm just I'm just not confident in, in that kind of scenario with that particular quarterback. So anyway, all right, got to get out of here. Big Monday episode. Be sure to check out, uh, if you want, bigspur.com. I have some thoughts about the game that kind of mirror what I talked about today up on that site. I think you can still join for a dollar. If, uh, if you want, obviously, if you're upset with football, you got basketball, recruiting, all that good stuff, right there on thebigspur.com. I'll be back next week. I'm sorry. Let me back up. Be back tomorrow with another episode of Inside the Gamecocks as we plow through the open date. Probably three or four episodes this week. Maybe three, maybe four, depending on you know how the flow of things goes, information, that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I anyway, I, I know I probably kind of seemed down on the dumps a little bit, and it's true. I just you know I can't. You know, some of this stuff is like unbelievable. And it, it 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 sucks because, you know, you you look at that offense and the, the one thing you thought they'd be able to do well this year, they can't. And that's affected everything else. You know, because if you could run the ball, you could run a little play action with Zeb Nolan. You could run the ball, you can have Luke Doty back. You can run the ball, you can have Jason Brown back there. But they can't run the ball. So, all right. I promise I'll be in a better mood tomorrow. Inside the Game Crash Podcast, signing off, J.C. Sherbert. Everyone have a good day.